Hi, Jane. Welcome to the Goodman Podcast. Lovely to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm at a good stage in my entrepreneurial journey, so I'm happy. Thank you. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you know, I always ask my guests to explain and tell us who they are. Obviously, the way I know you is through EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. We were in the same forum as well. You have stepped up and you're serving as leader in the board as well of EO London. So tell us a little bit about Jane, maybe about yourself, your career, your family, and what else you're up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, EO came to me relatively recently in the whole uh, timeline of things. Um, I started my research career 30 years ago, around about that. So being a technician for about 20, 25 years ago, um, and then came to starting one agency that was funded by um, a marketing services house. Then a second agency completely bootstrapped about seven years or so ago with co-founders. Um, and I'm just in the process of setting up my third business, which is supplying services to the market research industry. So that's kind of the business part. But the bit that kind of keeps me occupied and gives the light of my life is the family environment as well. Um, I'm very proud of my two very intelligent, very clever daughters. One's just graduated and started work. One is doing her final year. And I have just become a mummy to a new puppy. So that is taking up quite a bit of my time, um, enabling me to take a break, go out for exercise and put those sort of wellness breaks back into your day, that kind of thing. And of course, I have my husband as well that's um, doing great things. And he's part of the spousal forum in the London EO. So he's involved in that way as well. Uh, that's amazing. Continue, sorry. Um, yes, What in terms of me, Ask me more questions. I'm not quite sure where do I go with the new bit. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the, the one thing I'd say is like they often say, when you're a parent, you, you know, you're parent for life. There's no, no, no time. You know, uh, some people said to me earlier that sort of when you're uh, sort of an empty nester, like that's the end. But it's not rarely, is it? It's just like it's a constant sort of next thing. You know, you said you, you, you sort of grandmum to a puppy, for example, that, that sort of thing. Yes, yeah, no, you're right. I wouldn't quite say grandmum for puppy because the kids will not look after it. It's up to me and my husband. But yeah, you're right, different stages of life. And I would say that whole empty nesting thing for us was something we wanted to take control of. So rather than getting to the stage where the kids were then going off to do their own things, uni and leaving us with a house that was rattling around, we decided, no, let's take our journey and decided to move house and we moved to a house that required extensive renovation that took about three years to do. So the poor kids, uh, we took them out of their home, they went to university and came back to somewhere new and it changed every time that they arrived. So they've had to sort of pick up the ideas of being adaptable to change uh, quite quickly. But of all the times you're going to face, big changes is when you leave home to go to university. So, but yeah, they're coming out the other side and they really appreciate the reason for the move and what they've got at the end of it. And we probably spend more time together now than we did um, before, because as adults, we're choosing to spend time together and socialise. Whereas I think when you have little children, you have no choice but to look at each other. Now we're choosing to be with each other, which is great. That's amazing. They often say the one thing constant in life is change. So embracing it is so important, isn't it? Absolutely. You can change your attitude to change but you can't change what's going on around you absolutely and looking at obviously what you talked about earlier you have obviously done extensive experience as a technician in the mm -hmm. research space and then you started your own business tell us what inspired you to 
originally start uh, and become an entrepreneur, for example, what 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 was that that urge which which made you make it happen? Do you know what? I didn't realize I had an urge or an itch until it happened kind of by accident. Mm-hmm. And then as I learned more about it, then I got into it. Um, but thinking of my second business, so Sapio Research, the reason behind that one was that uh, at the time we had a merger with another company and there was a big cultural clash. The way that those people were viewing clients and viewing the team was completely different to the way myself and a couple of my co-founders like to do business and treat clients. And we just yeah, and I think that whole idea of company culture, being able to work together and like being a stick of rock at going through you and you being authentic is so important. And so we started that business over seven years ago and it has gone from strength to strength. We say, and I've left it with 20 people, with two people that I employed from university now leading and running the business with the chairman and so forth. So it's amazing to see it start from almost nothing to millions within a couple of years. But by in effect delivering the stuff that I've been working on for 20 odd years, but working out how to do it smarter, quicker, and uh, understand the needs of the clients better. Understood. And I hear you say a, bit, a little bit about sort of the, the challenges. One of the challenges was the, uh, was the culture. Would you say that's the biggest challenge? Or the other challenges as well in starting an agency, for example, scaling up your business as an agency? I would say that's a key thing. Not necessarily a challenge, but I think it's definitely something that you need to have in the forefront of your mind. I think like you, a service industry, a business of people rather than products, you have to be aware of the person, of the people, their emotional state, their family environment, their their personal drives and desires and have those matching your company's drives and desires and where you need to go and have them representing you in a way that you would want to represent the company yourself. I know you can kind of get into that situation where you end up recruiting people who are like yourself if you're not careful. And you do need diversity to have more creative ideas, to find solutions to problems, to have a bigger empathy and understanding of the world, particularly in the world of research. You are talking insights and behaviours and so forth. But it's that kind of North Star that you might have within yourself in terms of your values and your principles. That's the bit that's more difficult to change. You can change somebody's technical skills. You can introduce them to various learnings and so forth. But that kind of natural instinct of your 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 values is the bit that is more difficult to change for people. So hence recruiting on that, um, managing on that, portraying your company on that, that bit that differentiates your company, um, I think is really important. Absolutely. I mean, we're a people business. Even though we're not a carer business, we are people. Understood. And that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, before we go to the third business, we've gone to business already. But if you could go back in time and mm-hmm. change things around, for example, in your first business, second business, what would you do differently, Jane? I'd probably go in with more confidence and a belief that things can be changed, whether that be technology, whether that be people, whether that be process. Um, and that you don't have to be perfect at everything. You can just give everything a really good go. I think this is possibly the bit I'm doing this time. The whole writing of the copy, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be good enough. The setting up of the automations, not going to be perfect, but better than nothing. Sort of that kind of let's give it a go rather than waiting for things to be perfect. As long as I don't upset and offend people, that is my main thing there. But preparing a perfect speech, for example, that's never going to happen. Somebody will ask you a question, they'll take you in a different way. And so I think maybe the confidence that I have gained 
through meeting people like you, through going through EO, through doing various workshops, um, being introduced to so many things and being inspired by so many uh, amazing people has given me the confidence. So the third time to go, do you know what? This is going to be difficult from scratch, but it's going to be so much more fun because I'm going to not worry about the small stuff to the same extent. I, I agree and totally understand where you're coming from. Obviously, now that you start the third business, the ecosystem, the environment is very different. Obviously, back when we started our businesses, there wasn't any, well, there wasn't AI in the mainstream. Now we have AI literally everywhere. Do you see that going to impact anything in your third business or if you were to start again? Do you know what? I'm actually quite excited about it. Um, yes, I mean, there are many talks. There are they've umpteen webinars where we're talking about AI. They can, like Otter AI, the note-taking facility that you're probably using now. It's great. It gives you a transcript into the summaries and the key points. And I'm hearing that across many other businesses. But it kind of feels that I'm only just hearing that conversation going on in the world of research. So there are generic business tools out there. And now there are more specific research tools, so the LLM. So the large language model, you did it for MarkTech for ages, and using that more powerfully for qualitative research to, to review through the unstructured data to form patterns and so forth. I wish I had that tool 30 years ago. What would have taken me days of transcriptions, of coding, of long table analysis. Now you can press a button as long as you've got the right objectives in there. It's done within 10 minutes. Brilliant. I mean, I'm talking to old colleagues that are running departments and I say departments, a department of one that would have previously been staffed by three or four people and the impact that they're having because they've got some great tools. Project management, respondent, um, recruitment, the data analysis, the reporting, the links and so forth. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, speaking to her, her job, the democratisation of research is happening. It's frightening as a researcher to think that your job is going to be usurped. But the fundamental skills that most researchers come in with, the ability to be curious, to ask questions, to, in effect, increase, uh, improve the prompts on ChatGPT, to ask them better, to deeper the multifaceted questions, the thinking, the critical analysis, is becoming more and more of a need. And it can kind of take out that grunt work in the middle that you'd have done in old-fashioned ways and get to the stage of, right now, what does this mean? You can spend more time on listening to the client's needs, understanding the business to be able to give them more valid insights. So... As to how many agencies, how many inside professionals are using those tools to their max, I don't know. I mean, I was starting a webinar earlier this week just talking about coding of qualitative data. Another half of the audience hadn't actually even used or dabbled with it. So I'm quite intrigued by that because my new business is actually placing people, not physically placing them next to them, but having the opportunities to use VAs that are specific for market research tasks and tools. So part of what I'll be doing, um, depending on the client, depending on their need, but they're kind of going to be more familiar and powered by AI to a certain extent. So the tools for the analysis, the tools for the reporting, but helping people improve their processes. Because the bit that I'm hearing so much in businesses is that we don't have enough time to think about what we need to do next to improve our processes. So part of the solution I'm offering is giving you an extra body, somebody you can talk to who you don't need to breathe brief precisely as you might do for a machine you can have that conversation and they will give you take the workload off to give you the time to think about what is that next step that you need to do for your business to do that deeper thinking between the two of you a more cost-effective solution to support the team 
powered a little bit by AI, but as many of the tools that you've got as an agency yourself, it depends how far you want to get into it. So, yeah, it's a people business, but you've got to use the tools out there. It's going to then help your clients to be in that that next level so much quicker. Yeah, I completely agree. As somebody, as somebody who's sort of actually, I did my, I was doing a PhD doing AI twenty years back, and never finished it, though, unfortunately. But um, I, you know, I, I love love AI. There's a lot of time thinking about it. I, I feel there's a massive shift. They're talking about LLMs earlier, large language models. There are ChatGPT and cloud like proprietary tools which are hosted. And there's like obviously open source tools which are made like by Facebook. Uh, like Llama, for example, you can program yourself and keep it on your own server. Do you feel that at some point that might mean replacing majority of the team members in research teams, research agencies, or do you do you see that well actually still a very people business? Um, and that's a good question. Kind of yes, I do see it replacing the number of stuff that you might need because they themselves. Less can get away with less people being expert users. Um, but in terms of value, you can offer to your client or your colleagues by being expert users, by having, you know, concentrating on the value add stuff. I think that's got to take the world forward, got to take the market research world forward. And I think that's what has happened for many years. It's become more tech and it's become more this. And whereas fundamentally, many researchers come in because they're curious, they're good at stats and they want to understand human behavior. They are almost the people that should be training these data models, um, the synthetic audiences. So actually putting a synthetic audience in the hands of a research company, possibly as a more ethically stronger thing to do than maybe some of the tech companies, because they've grown up understanding the difference between bias and unrepresentative data and trying to get the population uh, represented better, that kind of thing, because that's the sort of background they have. Whereas when you talk about the ethics in AI, I don't know. That background, you're interested maybe more in the coding and the tech part rather than the analysis and the representative part of it. So, yeah, things are moving that way, kind of got to move that way. And difficulties we have in the world, in our world with respondents. Not problems with them per se, but getting them to participate. Everybody is busier. Their time is more valuable. The incentives that need to be paid. Um is becoming more difficult. So if we can avoid asking them silly banal questions because the information is already out there or the behavior model is already there, let's do that and let's save the respondents for the new market, the, the, the new perspective on, on a new category, that kind of thing, that, that more sort of innovative work with real people as opposed to the stuff that's already out there. Um, but as researchers, we need to run to keep up. Yeah, it, it, I think the model of a traditional data capture market research agency has got to change. Um, but you know, there's, there's ways that we can use our skills in other ways. We need to be leading it rather than following it at times. So, so just to understand better, Jane, are you saying that primary research can be done without using respondents and perhaps just using AI or large language models which are machine learning focused? Is that what is that what you say? Yeah, and maybe that word primary research, you wouldn't necessarily call it prime. Well, I suppose it is. Um, but I was speaking to actually an EO member recently, um, Venu, um, Venu Ganganas, apologies if I didn't say that correct, from EO Bangalore. He's got an agency called Langor Digital, and it's a digital marketing agency that does AI in the three different buckets of analytics, as well as forecasting and so forth. And it's 
blows your mind almost what can be done with the data these days. Um, whether he's doing synthetic audiences, I'm not sure, but he's taking primary information if you consider to be the transaction information, as well as feedback that you've got from surveys, as well as bits and pieces from all over the place, using that to create a model so then you can do your forecasting. So it's creating a model out of primary data, which means you might not have to do the same extent of primary information, primary information collection from the individuals such as questioning, such as surveys, mm. things like that. But as the world changes, as new stimuli comes, as new categories happen, um, as the world changes, we will still need to keep in touch with the person, the real people, and new questions will need to be asked. But if we've got answers to the existing questions, there's no point asking those again. That's my view. Understood. You're, you mentioned the, 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 the word synthetic audience, mm-hmm. which from what I can infer is effectively the AI pretending to be a category of audience and answering on behalf. Is that what it is? Could you explain a little better just for the well, audience I, to understand? I think you've grasped it well. Yeah. So the models are putting together all of the past behavior, all of the bits and pieces. And then as you put them together, you can then ask it a question, a multifaceted question and what have you. So what would happen if X happened? As with an economic model, econometric modeling, um, and they can go forward and go, well, this is what we think will happen if you change your advert by this color or you put it in this place because of the past behavior we've seen of people like this, assuming that most of the parameters stay the same, this is the likely outcome. So, yeah, it's that kind of prediction part of it. Um, machine Interesting. But, yeah, it's Interesting. training it well and asking it well and having that data set because data has always been really, really important. Um, and to have your own data set, which looking at the research world, there is panel providers that have real people that put surveys. That's your own asset. Whereas you've got other people like Reddit, for example, that have got all sorts of information that you can train a data set on. They're starting to close their walls and, and not allow you to have it free because that can be used by other data models. How have people asked the questions? How have they answered? So to have your own data set of people, of behavior, of whatever, it's going to become increasingly important because you can do so much with it. Say, I'm not necessarily the person that can do that, but I'm um, excited for the things that are coming. But just to make sure we ethically put the right kind of things in there. But you can put counterfacts in to train it in a different way. Whereas maybe in a research panel, we've often spoken about them being underrepresented for ethnicity or age or things like that. Whereas with a model, you can put the counterfacts in, you can you can train it with increasing that kind of information to enable it to behave more representatively, perhaps, than maybe a research panel does today. That's that's really interesting. Just to build on that a little further, obviously, one of the things which research companies also do is to bring in an expert, subject matter expert, and then a panel of people who ask them questions. These are the subject matter experts they bring on because they want to invest, for example, in something sophisticated and they were putting a lot of cash in so they talked to a few people. Yeah. Do you believe that these panels can actually talk to the AI instead? So they can, for example, they say, we want a, we want a persona of some uh, somebody who can come in who is a, a ex or current VC, missed the law in the, in the tech market in the US. Can it be possible that in the future we don't actually hire people and pay them $200 or £200 per hour and actually just be able to talk to AI because it maybe has a understanding of the potential answers. 
Um, maybe I will be careful of that because you probably need to be an expert in an area to understand what's coming back, the context and the information. There will always be errors and misjudgments. And you need to understand your subject area to know whether these forecasts, but that panel expert using the powerful stuff behind them would upskill them quite quick, you know, quicker than they maybe have done before. Um, and sometimes when we look at experts, as brilliant as they are, that personal perspective, that ego can get in the way with actually wasn't what's happened. We don't want to remember some of the bad bits, but actually that data is there that shows that that's a risk, for example. So the data would throw it up. But as with, you know, they talk about ChatGPT putting in, coders and they make them redundant you still need to know what questions to ask it and to know whether that stuff comes back properly so this whole business of should we say expert users using these tools so the subject matter experts you're talking about having the relevant tools will become more of an expert but they will probably be able to well they were in a much better position to know whether the stuff that's coming out is nonsense or not but these things are always changing we're always improving so you need to kind of be an expert to work the expert information it's it's would be too naive to just send you know, a ten-year-old thing, this, that, and the other. What would it mean? But um, yeah, really interesting. That really, really interesting. Uh, obviously, one thing I'm really keen to understand is why market research. So tell, tell us why did Jane get into market research uh, when we began? You said about twenty-ish years back. Well, what, what what made you want to jump into marketing market research? Uh, good question. As with the case for many people, market research isn't a career thing. Oh, I'll do that because it's particularly distinct from others. Um, I fell into it. Um, when I was in university, I was doing an earth sciences degree. I wanted to work for the National Rivers Authority and save the world and do great climate things. Um, and the more I got into that and then I worked for the Met Office, the more I realised that actually these are big proper scientists that understand their physics and their maths and so forth. So I had a fair understanding, but not a level that would take me to a PhD or a master's in physics and so forth. So working with Met Office, um, I was programming on TV, uh, weather maps for the TV at the time. Didn't didn't like my passion, but, you know, I could understand why it was important. And then I got a sideways move to cover maternity for a market research position. Just at the time, it was becoming more commercial. So it was taking a government body into uh, a private body to make to cover its commercialization. And I found that fascinating to understand how a business is ticked and marry the the needs of, of the customers that would be buying the weather service, as well as having an understanding about, oh, this is related to the environment, so it all felt good. And then you go, all right, I'll just do this temporarily, and one thing led into another, and I moved to an agency and went, just actually asking questions for a living suited me. <laughs> being curious, being curious, so that, that's where it, yeah. Um, and I ended up in B2B research and so forth. Great. That's, that's awesome. And and if I was to ask you over the twenty years ish where you've been working in the in the industry, I was to ask you, put you in the bar and ask you, what's the secret sauce which makes the the best research organization or market research organization? What would be your answer? Um secret sauce. Curiosity has got to be one of the key factors of anybody working in the industry. That that why child. And as you would look at your business, that why and how can you improve it? So from a business owner's perspective, it's what's our processes and what's going on and how can we improve it? Whereas a, the technician being, no, why are people doing that? And what does that mean for my client? So marrying those two, um, keep listening, keep adapting, secret source. Uh, but yeah, there are lots of technical companies, IT companies that have come into the space of market research. The fundamental skills at the end, uh, underneath could be quite similar. But you have those that have gone so much deeper into the data 
and the modelling than perhaps the, the more traditional research environment. But we can work together, absolutely work together. Secret source, um, stick at it and be curious, I suppose. And would that be the message you'll be telling as you embark on your third business and helping other research companies as well to be to be curious and innovating, you know, adapting as it were? The innovating and adapting, yes. I think curiosity probably will come quite naturally to them. And almost the, the, the bad, the negative side of curiosity is sometimes you're overwhelmed with ideas and issues and being able to see see the light is can be more difficult because there's so many options and possibilities. So part of what I'll be doing is helping them look at their current processes to understand where the inefficiencies are. And is that a solution via a person and delegation? Or is that a solution perhaps by a bit of tech? I don't own the tech. I won't have the tech, but the two in combination. But sometimes by just the simplest of tasks, uh, somebody managing our diary, respondent dead, you know, uh, locations and answering simple questions, we can program things to such an extent but you still need that person uh, looking over things so it doesn't sort of miss, miss a match but the two in combination that would just be one example but the time we spend with data checking and creating data presentations and things like that I don't know has everybody got to the completely IT side or are they still working manually I think there's helping those um, accelerate their journey is what I'd like to do I, I love that I love that and um, I mean I've, and I've um, I wish you all the best with that, that third business. I think it'll be very exciting and a lot of people who will have the opportunity to work with you will, will be, I feel be blessed because of the experience you have, not only as a business owner in the space, but also as a technician who's done this, been there, done that. So that, that, that's awesome. Um, to set up the next question, to set up the, the next question, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a bit of a interesting fact. T today I went to see an EO member who's in the creative agency space and we're talking about how the future of our agencies are going to be very different. I also met an agency owner who, in the last eight years, having a eight-figure agency has lost 46% of the business to AI. Uh -huh. So my question to you is, how would you help companies make be more future-proof? Because this industry, in the agency, whether it's research, content, you name the agency, well, it's changing so dramatically. Again, putting you on the spot there, but Jane, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Okay, future briefing. I think what's quite interesting is how do you define success? How do you find the size of your business? You mentioned then the revenue reducing by 46%. That's the difficult, that's the sad part. But if that was headcount reduced by 46%, maybe that's... For the people involved, yes, that would be the sad part. But for the profitability of the organisation, that might be the, the positive part. Mm. What what is that? So um, revenue, it, revenue is insanity, profit is king. What is that phrase that we've heard before? Yeah. So uh, uh, revenue is uh, vanity, profit is sanity. Yes. So looking at that, any sensible business owner will probably be chuffed to have a higher margin than a lower margin so it can feel very upsetting that our businesses shrink but actually if each mother still working there is taking home more and you are taking home more and you're working less hard it is 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 that such an issue but um i think yeah working smarter not harder would be my thing so 
we can, I mean, my business model is overseas staff working with more traditional agencies in the UK and the US. The, the cost base is significantly different. I mean, you well know about working remotely and working with people in different places. You need a different mindset to work with, with people in different time zones and who don't necessarily sit next to you. But COVID has shown us that that's possible and we can adapt a bit. And that can be a great way for improving your margins by reducing your overheads, having people that are paid less an hour. And I get questions asked about, gosh, isn't that taking them for, for granted or isn't that exploitative? Um, that can feel a little bit difficult. But then if you look at the cost of a VA and at what they might earn in their country compared to a teacher, for example, by staying at home in front of the computer working with you, they can be taking home more than somebody that's actually having to rock up to the office, teach the kids and have a more stressful day. I'm not saying that the teacher's work is not more valuable than the VA's work, but in terms of how easy it is for them to earn their dollar or the dollars they get paid per hour, you're getting more people going to the VA route for becoming VA as a service than you are um, teaching uh, in person. So every country is different, but if our objective as a business owner is to get maximum profit, we need to work about doing things differently. Completely agree with you. I love it. You know, working smarter and remote working and the dollar you can be earning per hour. I completely agree with you. That's that's awesome, Jane. Thank you so much. Coming towards the end of our uh, end of our session together, obviously we met through EO. I'd love to learn how has Jane been influenced by EO? How has EO been in your life, Jane? Love to hear about that. Well, um my friends call it my sort of twitchy club, that one that you go to that you have deep meetings that you can't talk about the content of because it's all a bit of a strange club. So that that has caused much mirth. But meeting a group of people where you feel you can have conversations about, you just mentioned then that example of my business has just lost 46% of its revenue. And you don't feel as if this is failure and you don't feel as if it's embarrassed. Meeting people like that is fantastic. No, we're here to help you and sort you make it better for you rather than laugh at the awful situation people that have been there done that and, and can empathize and you can learn from it's finding a kind of a tribe a different tribe to that which i've had anywhere else um and it's it yeah it's inspired me it's given me assistance um and it's also enabled me to go to some great places i possibly wouldn't have gone to before and i think glc will be a great example of that i took my family with me before the glc event in south africa in cape town it was an opportunity for us all to, to experience a different country and um, because there were EO members there that knew the place locally, then you had that extra special treatment and, and you were introduced to things which we wouldn't have done just by going on holiday ordinarily. Um, and, and my girls came away going, wow, we want to go to the Okinawa one, we want to go to Japan, we want to do this, we want to do that. So it's not meant to be a holiday destination, but there's that kind of, uh, yeah, opens doors that I probably wouldn't have had opened any other way. So, yeah, thoroughly. Uh, which is why I'm on the board, because I've had great experience. I've been through Accelerator Programme, and I want to give that back to other people and, and keep members engaged. Although, of course, we are naturally all our own our own individual beings. I want to do it differently. So it is interesting working with all these different perspectives. But you learn about yourself as well when you do that. That's amazing. And the next GLC is actually in Singapore. So a lot of traveling to be done, and hopefully the girls can join and enjoy that experience. Ask me a fortune. Don't tell them. <laughs> that's brilliant so jane where can people find you on the internet or otherwise where can we can we connect with you talk to you engage engage you potentially to help us out 
thank you. LinkedIn, always a good place. So it's Jane Hales. Um, that's <clears throat> just that. And the new company, it's called Part of the Dot Team. Um, because the people I'm looking to do is not just a one-off, it will be part of your team. Um, so LinkedIn, Twitter, don't tend to use that. But um, yeah, the website, part of the dot team. At the moment, there's a net on it, but we will get there. Um, drop me an email, jane at part of dot team. Um, do you want my phone number? I mean, that, that's probably on the website as well, you know, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's awesome. LinkedIn. Jane Hales, Jane H A L E S, and part of uh, part of dot team. Yeah, Is that part, right? part of the team. Yeah, part uh, of the team. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love the, love the branding, by the way. Amazing. Jane, thank you so, so much for being a guest today. Inspirational stuff. You are a, a force of nature. You really have changed the the way I look at market research. So thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for talking to us about the, the past, the future, and being so open and, and, and honest about your experiences. And uh, can't wait to see you hopefully uh, in, in person in London or maybe Singapore, if that's something you, you still potentially looking to do. Yeah. Uh, to go for my fourth year on the board, I'm not sure at the moment, but Singapore is tempting, I must admit. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much, Jane. Good to good to have you on the on the, on the Goodman podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Did you want? And thank you very much, Jane. Brilliant work. Thank you so much. How was it for you? Yeah, yeah. I probably spoke a little bit too quickly, but we'll, we shall do with that. No, it was good. It was good. Thank you. Thank you. And we didn't touch upon the more difficult. You know, the exit thing. I'm glad you didn't ask about that. I did a podcast the other week with Charlotte, and of course. She's known all about it. She's been there for months in the background. And I had to listen to it afterwards and go, oh, my God, can this go public? Because I might get sued. <laughs> so at least I've got none of that danger. So that's very kind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really keen. Obviously, this is not a forum. This is a public setting. I don't want to touch on subject which might impact, affect you in any way. So I had one question which was actually about the, the research company experience with, with Sapio. But I'm just like, I'll take this out completely. So, but I'm happy that we did it that way. So we can just put it out there and help you get some more business with her business, the oh, new business. I mean, I, I, I still own 49% of Sapia, so I still want to pick it up. But from the confusion perspective, I've got to just be clear on part of the team is me. And I know it puts me in a difficult, well, I could be teaching lots of other research agencies how to improve their processes, which makes it competitive. But what do you do when you've done it for 30 years? <laughs> yeah, you go, yeah. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, in fact, I mean, you know, a lot of agency owners go and invest in other agencies as well. You know, what else can you do? It's probably no, right? So, yeah, and I, in, my, in my contract, I can't do that. I have a not compete ah. because I still own, I still own Sapio. So, yes. I can't invest in any other company. I can't work for any other company. Um, but I'm sitting there going, I can fucking see all the problems. Let me help you. Let me help you. You know, it's that kind yeah. of thing. You know, that, that sort of thing. But, but yeah, but um, I love him working with my VA and I, you've got quite a few as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I think the future is that, you know, I think, I think, uh, I, I mean, VAs or virtual teams, you know, it is the future and put that together with AI, it is literally the best combination ever. I think it's just going to change the 
Yeah, and the bit I probably forgot to mention in there is that we're short of staff in the industry. They've done reports to say that we do not have enough talent coming up. So if you've got not enough talent coming up, um, how are you going to fulfil? How are you going to fill it then? So that's that's my raison d'être as well in terms of keep your clever people doing the clever stuff and get the more mundane stuff or easier to delegate stuff off to somebody else that's cheaper than the guy you've yeah. got next to you. Completely agree with you. Jane, so awesome to see you again. Thank you for your time. Have a lovely, lovely weekend. And I can't wait to see you in person very soon, hopefully in London very soon. Lovely. Where are you putting this out, by the way? Because I did have a quick look, and you're mentioned on loads of podcasts, but I wasn't sure which particular podcast this was. So we're currently collecting it. It'll be on rss.com, on YouTube as well. And I, uh, the team will get back to you and tell you where it's going out. And we'll transcribe it as well. We'll market you. Like we are, you know, like we are teams because I want, I want to put, you, I mean, that's, that's the mission of the thing is to really highlight people who are on the podcast because this is what they focus all about empowering people. Lovely. Out of interest, what is your, the justification for the podcast? I know it will help you with the business, but what is your core that goes through as in the commonality of the people that you invite? A, a lot of it are, are EO members. So mm-hmm. uh, next year I'm president uh, of EO Bangkok with Bolton. So um, I'm just like one part is EO. Number two is actually this this uh, Q&A helps me learn a lot. Like I, I come with, like, with it's a way to come to like learn. Um, number three is like curating different ideas together also helps us as a team as well. And also like the more we empower people, that empowers us as well. So yeah. that's the third thing. And I, I don't think it's going to co- it's going to lead to any hash in the bank i promise you directly but but sometimes it's not about that it's about you know learning from people to then empower my you know ourselves the whole team listens to it and they all learn something new from it it's great i was thinking of it from a i'd like to run one but inviting prospective clients to join and i'm trying to figure what would be the core for the reason there are already um, industry ones uh market research industry podcasts out there they've not been going that long but people don't talk about business process and business improvements. They just talk about research methodologies and research tools for methodologies. So I am kind of playing with, but I'm not a proper business consultant. So there aren't, there aren't market researchers in EO, I suppose. It's almost a combination of people that know about business ops that happen to be research specialists. Whereas there's lots yeah. of specialists that don't think about the business, which in my mind gives me opportunity. But where would I? Because he said the VA idea is nothing. It's not new. It's not original. But there doesn't seem to be anybody for my industry. That's, that's what I'm taking a punt on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and again, like that also, like you know, makes me realize that you know how valuable that is, for example. And just like as you're building this business up, one one thing which which I learned somewhere, somebody else's podcast was that that podcasts are an SEO goldmine. Uh, if you think about it that way, so if the more the more we you know the more we do it, like you know you can use this podcast on your website as well, and that will help you as well. So at the end of the day, there are a lot of benefits of it actually. Uh, but again, I don't think of this as making cash and actually using you know I I get involved directly. It's not my team who's involved. It's me getting involved directly, and that that's taking you know founders' time out of it. But still. It's, it's for business, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's phenomenal. Every chat I've had so far has been the topic has been new. 
and I experimented with that and then I, you know, sort of learned from that and dwell on that and talk to the team on level 10 meetings, which I have use EOS technology. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So out of interest, what was the new learning point for you in our conversation? Well, I think one thing which I learned was about, about VAs, uh, about like how, like, for example, you mentioned like VAs is a thing in other industries, but research industries, it's not as, as prevalent. That's one. Number two, you talked about how your journey about sort of what is the, the future. And I wanted to sort of see if the future of creative agencies like ours is similar to marketing agencies. And you were talking about sort of machines taking over and actually is how to get people to like employ, for example, as well. There's not enough people there. And potentially you can reduce the size of the, the teams and still be more efficient and work smarter and focus on the, on the, on the profitability and our revenue. I mean, that's, that's all the reminders to kind of think about, you know, what I should be focusing on as well, I guess. Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. But no, it's good. I was, um, yeah, the more you do them, the more you become comfortable and the more you kind of get into your rhythm, don't you? So thank you for giving me the opportunity. I do appreciate this. And, that, and this is perfect timing for me because I'm going to be, as you say, social mediaing the shit out of a lot of that. Nice one. Nice one. That's great. Well, I wish you all the best. If there's anything you can do to help you out anytime, please reach out. Please reach out. If you know any other research agencies, put them my way and I may they can help them. Sure, I will. I will. Actually, uh, I will. Because, I, I mean, we don't do any research ourselves. But, we, yeah, I, I will, if I come across anybody, I know I have a mental note that I've, I've got Jane. So I, I certainly, certainly will put them away. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Super. Um, and have a good evening. Thank you so much for you your time. You too. And All have right. a lovely weekend. Bye.